to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. And continuing on at verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would speak in ways that we can hear you. Uh, we pray that if there's anything distracting us or weighing on us, Lord, we pray that you would work through that so that we can be attentive to what you have for us this morning. And Lord, give us responsive hearts that we may serve you in all things. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So several years ago now, um, uh, my friend Jonathan uh, used to lead mission trips down to New York. He led a bunch of them, and I went on too. And I was amazed at, at the way he did things because there was some criticism at the time saying that short-term mission trips are pretty pointless. Um, if you want to make a difference, you've got to go somewhere long-term. And he heard that, and so in order to prepare the team for the mission trip to New York, we started practicing in St. John and in the area around there. We would gather together regularly for prayer and for worship, and we would serve together. We would, we would go to soup kitchens. We would go to community cleanup things. We would, we would go to the drop-ins at Stone Church and elsewhere to learn what it meant to follow and respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit and, and so serve God. Now, how many people here have been on a mission trip? Honduras, Thailand, <laughs> anywhere else? No. Well, when we leave these doors today, you're on a mission trip because our mission field is right out there. And we are called to be light and salt. We are called to be the very presence of Jesus in a world that is very troubled right now, to be agents of healing, of peace and reconciliation. That's who we're called to be. 
That's what we're called to do. There's a, there's a significant difference here about what happened with the, these disciples in the gospel today with what we're called to do, though. Um, Jesus says uh, he appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. But since this happened, Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit, so we live in a different context. We're not going out to where Jesus is about to go because the Holy Spirit is already at work in the world around us and our job is to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing and to join in with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I don't know about you, but the thought of God already being out there working makes me feel a whole lot more secure when we're called to go and follow. Many of us aren't going to be doing a lot of mission trips some other country or some other place, but we are called to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. And so what Jesus says to his disciples then is relevant to us here and now. So first thing we are called to do is to pray. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So we are to pray to God that he would bring in more workers into the vineyard, into the, into the harvest field. And so are we actively praying for evangelists, praying for them, um, praying that God would call new people to embody his love? Do we actually do that? This is a calling of Jesus that we are to engage in. But where we go, um, he says that we are being sent out like lambs among wolves. Yippee! You get to go out in vulnerability, not power. You get to go out in peace, not with might. You get to go out humbly, trusting that God will provide for your every need. And these are things, this is the nature, this is the posture that we're supposed to have when we go out trusting in God's provision, going meekly in vulnerability, um, wanting to share good news with the people that live around us. And when you enter a house, he says, say, shalom, peace be with you. May you be fulfilled. May you not lack anything. May you know peace. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, you haven't lost anything. You still have peace of walking in trust with God. And that's chiefly what we're meant to do. I heard a really disturbing debate this this week on a podcast between uh, a guy named Shane Claiborne and a pastor named Kyle Thompson. Now, Shane Claiborne is kind of a radical um, he, you know, a few decades ago when, when the states were bombing Afghanistan, Shane Claiborne hopped a plane, went to Afghanistan, and said, I apologize for my nation, which is dropping bombs on your nation. And I'm here to say, this isn't what Jesus wants, and I want to promote peace. He used to play with kids in the streets while bombs were dropping all around them. This is a guy who knows violence and responds to it in peace. He was arguing with a pastor, Kyle Thompson, who started his debate off by cocking a fully automatic rifle and setting it on the table and saying, nothing will happen, this is a perfectly safe object. Because guns don't kill people, people kill people. Right? And Kyle was arguing that it is our Christian duty to defend the image of God, people who are good. And we have full license to kill the baddies in Jesus' name. 
because they're not good people. Okay? So he has a right and a responsibility to kill people who would threaten the good people. And the thing that really spoke to me is that Shane, in his discussion with this man, was that he lives in the most dangerous neighborhood in Philadelphia, which is one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. And he doesn't feel afraid. There's a shooting every week in his neighborhood. Can you imagine living like that? And he said, I'm not afraid because I know my neighbors. And what Shane did is that he moved into one of the most dangerous neighborhoods intentionally with the purpose of establishing the kingdom there. So he lives self-sacrificially by ex- like extending himself vulnerably and he's creating these neighborhoods of peace. And he's currently on a movement across the United States called, I think it's called Beat Those Guns. We're going to beat the guns. And he has a, a, a portable forge and people submit their guns He sticks them in the forge, and together they beat them into garden tools. I like that much better. We are called to be agents of peace in this world, and that means being vulnerable and humble and and, and, being in places of darkness and of standing for the truth. Um, When we, uh, and Jesus says, when you enter into a house, Wish peace, pray peace over it, and let there be peace. Um, And stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, because it's God providing for your needs. But he says, don't go from house to house to house to house. Don't be in the market shopping for the next better house, right? Well, they serve steak down the street, so I think I'm going to say so long ago down there. I was talking with a senior clergyman a few years ago, and he told me this story about visiting two bachelor brothers who were woodsmen. And, and they were the type of people, the good New Brunswickers, who would put a, a pot of water to boil on the back of the wood stove at the beginning of the week, and they'd throw in a few tea bags. And then <laughs> through the week, they would just add more water and more tea bags. And so by the end of the week, you, could, you didn't need faith. You could just walk across that tea. You know, it was that strong. And, uh, and he said that he sat down with these two rough guys, and, and they handed him a cup of tea. And when they handed him the cup of tea, he, he noted that he couldn't stick his finger in the hole because it was filled with grime. And I said, what did you do? He said, I prayed for protection, and then I drank the tea. We are called into uncomfortable circumstances, things that we would rather do, but how we receive from people. Because when you receive from someone, that says so much because we're not the people of position and privilege. We're the people who need love. We're receivers who give. We're not just givers. And so the nature in which we engage our neighbors is to be vulnerable, is to be open and receptive to how God is going to minister to us through them and not just the other way. Make sense? All right, so... Um, Jesus then broadens out the message. He says, so we we looked at what it's like when we enter a house. What happens when we enter a town and we're welcomed? Eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are, are are not welcomed, 
Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, yes, it has come near. One of the things that I struggle with in this passage is, again, when we go, when we go, when we go. Well, we're already here. And so I I was praying with this passage, and it reminded me of uh, Jeremiah speaking to the exiles in Babylon. And instead of them going anywhere, they were taken and they were plunked in Babylon. And the message that God gave them to them there is this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. So what we're called to do in Fredericton is to be that blessing. We're to be praying for our city and living here and rubbing elbows with the people around us, of getting to know them. Um, and, and, and to say the kingdom of God is near to you in how we live, by demonstrating the beauty of the kingdom and justice and community and spirituality by living out our faith amidst people around us. And this is where I really get angry at the lectionary because they, they skip over Um, verses 12 to 15, which is basically what happens when people reject you. Because people will reject us. What do you do? And what Jesus did is that he warns them. You're rejecting not me. You're rejecting the one who sent me. You're missing out on life abundant in this rejection. And then he goes through a whole list of woes, which has nothing to do with a horse. The woes he's talking about are, are lament. It's sorrow because of the judgment that is to come. How are we to react when our loved ones reject Jesus or reject us? What are we to do? We pour out our heart to God and we lift up our, our dreams for our kids or for our neighbors, for the people who reject us. We don't get angry and we don't retaliate. We lament. One of the most important prayers of the last two years has been lament. So we move on to the the last part here where the 72 return. I'm wondering if if I were to ask you um, what your dreams are for your children or your grandchildren, if you could, like, what, what would you like to be part of their lives? I wonder if you could shout out a few examples. What when you think of your children or grandchildren or your little neighbors, what do you wish for them? What's your heart's desire for them? Anybody? Pardon? To know Christ? Well, you jumped right to it there. To know Christ? What else? To live in peace. No war. I want my kids to be loved and to love. I want them to be well-fed. I want them to become doctors and nurses so they can provide for me. I'm just joking. (laughs) 
But a, a life led, my, my high school motto was uh, Vita Vitalis, a life worthwhile. I want them to have a life worthwhile where they're fulfilled in what they do. When I do baptism prep with a family, that's my first question. What do you hope for your child? What's your dream for your child? Because that's the dream of baptism, is to be whole and complete, right? It's to know peace. It's to know the Lord. It's to know that you're loved. That's, that's the dream. That's God's dream for you. The disciples came back, and they're super excited. You know, we gave the devil a black eye. It was fantastic. And, and here's the thing. When we, when we talk about spiritual warfare or anything, if we focus on the demons or all that other stuff, we can see a demon behind every bush. But next to the Lord Jesus Christ, a demon is nothing. Nothing. So Jesus says, where should your focus be? It's on the fact that you, your names are written in the book of life, that God has dreamed a dream for you, and he will see it through to completion. That's what gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Last week we looked at how discipling with Jesus was like a journey. And our journey with Jesus is to follow and to see where the Holy Spirit is at work and to join in. We do this not with might and power. We do this with humility and vulnerability, trusting in God's provision, trusting that God is already at work and he has called us to a purpose and to a place. And as we live out our lives here in Fredericton, we are invited to live out the values of the kingdom and so proclaim the lordship of Jesus and his presence here among us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time of, of, of promise. We thank you, Lord, that even in our confusion and disorientation, you are Lord. So we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, to look to you with expectation. And Lord, we pray that you would be so exalted in our lives that people would come to recognize you and to receive your love for them so that they too may reflect your goodness to the world around them and that we might know your wholeness and your peace. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.